Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report. I'm Vaga Maradian. This podcast version of our interview is brought to you by L3 Technologies. Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report. I'm Vaga Maradian here at the Farnborough International Air Show at this historic airfield about 30 miles southwest of London, one of the world's most important gatherings of defense, military, industry leaders, and aircraft from all around the world on this, the 100th anniversary of the world's first independent air force, the Royal Air Force, founded in April 1918. This year is a year of commemoration for that great and historic force and air force on which all other air forces around the world have been modeled. Our coverage here is sponsored by Farnborough International and Leonardo DRS. And we're here at the uh, BAE Superplex at the uh, end of the airfield here uh, at Farnborough to discuss the future combat air strategy, which is the new strategy that was unveiled by uh, Prime Minister Theresa May and Defense Secretary Gavin Williamson. But a key part of that was the Tempest Combat Aircraft Program, which was uh, a black program funded for about two billion euro, up two billion euros, sorry, two billion uh, pounds, in which BAE Systems is the lead contractor, joined by Leonardo Aircraft, joined by Rolls-Royce and MBDA, Europe's leading missile maker. And we're honored to have with us Andrew Kennedy, the head of strategy here at uh, BAE, and Clive Morrison, uh, Clive, I'm very sorry to mess up your name. We were making a joke earlier, and I was going to uh, refer to you by your uh, joke name. And you've been working on uh, the program as well from a technology uh, standpoint. Um, I want to start with you. Um, this program really is, uh, you know, as Sash Tuza put it, this was the most consequential announcement at a farm bureau during his professional lifetime. Uh, given that this was really a black program in many respects, enormous amount of work, wind tunnel work that was also done on shapes. Uh, I'm going to bet you 25 cents, Clive, this is a representational model and nothing <laughs> vaguely like the real aircraft. I'll let you comment on that in a moment. Um, Talk to us a little bit about the strategy, when you guys started doing this, and the amount of work you guys have put into this, and what ultimately you're trying to accomplish uh, from a UK sovereignty perspective, given that this program is important to the nation to preserve its own organic air uh, aircraft, aircraft design and combat systems capabilities. Sure, absolutely. I mean, the combat air strategy, as you say, was published on Monday morning, and that was really a, a statement of intent from the UK government that you, know, you talk about the RAF being in service for the last 100 years, that's been backed by UK industry. So effectively, you know, we've been leading the sector for the last 100 years as a global power. And the combat air strategy will, will hopefully position ourselves going forward for at least the next 100 years to maintain that position. And there were three main, three main aims from the strategy. One of which was a statement of intent to international partners to say the UK is in the game. We want to look, go out and look for international partners. There is a, a, effectively the confidence for the, uh, for the investment community to say, you know, if you've got a choice of where you're going to put the investment, come into the UK combat air sector because you know, this is a growth sector and it's something that we're going to sustain for many years into the future. And the third element of it was to act as uh, effective inspiration for employees, current employees and the next generation of, of software engineers and, and aerospace engineers. When they're coming out of university, they have a choice of where, you know, where they're going and there's lots of engineering jobs around the, around the UK and elsewhere. We want them to come and work on this program. Um, I want to get to you, Clive, in a second, but let me follow this up. Uh, from, from a BAE strategy perspective, BAE and British industry has 20% of the Joint Strike Fighter. Um, it's a key supplier, you know, UK industries and industrial companies and particularly BAE Systems is on platforms all around the world, including a key supplier, one of the largest US military contractors, the, the American business. Um, at the same time, you're trying to preserve sovereign capabilities. Um, there are those in the company that have long bristled at the terms of Joint Strike Fighter uh, or the F-35 program, given that the United States doesn't give anybody access to the proprietary technology 
Um, you know, in, in some cases, British engineers and even folks in MOD and elsewhere have said, look, it's kind of a one-way street. We provide the systems that go in there, but we don't have much access and insight, even though we're a tier one player on it. Um, is there a message here to be delivered in terms of what's happening with this program that, um, you know, and, and how strategically do both of these coexist? Because at some point, you know, folks in the Pentagon can regard this as, well, wait a minute, you know, they're not going to buy more of our stuff to develop their own stuff. Uh, even if that might be part of the message, it becomes kind of a different, difficult narrative. Walk us through strategically, you know, how to think about this problem from a BAE system standpoint. So I think what we have to understand is that the, the BAE system's position on F-35 came about from some, uh, a, a large raft of the intellectual property that we generated through a number of programs prior to that. The Typhoon, the Tornado, the Harrier, and other work and investment that we had done. So, you know, it, 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 the F-35 is great business for the company, but what it doesn't actually necessarily do for us is, is create the, the long-term future. You know, we're, we're not creating the intellectual property from the F-35 program that we can then transfer necessarily onto other programs, but we are still doing really, really good work on that program, and they can very much coexist with Tempest and, and the work that we're going to be doing through the through the initiative that was announced on on Monday morning. So, what we really want to be able to do from this program is to generate the intellectual property that we're able to own and exploit, and potentially then that that ensures that in the future we are going to be a really, really good partner for the United States as well. So we can continue like we've done, as I say, on the tornado and the Harry and the typhoon. If we generate some of the capabilities on this program we can then perhaps partner again with the U.S. in the future. And uh, as you look at that partnership future, you have the French and the Germans that have announced their program to develop a combat aircraft. Um, the, there's a partnership that BAE has with Turkey, uh, for example, to work on the Turkish combat aircraft program. And there's, you guys have had a terrific, I mean, in fact, you were a large stakeholder in Saab uh, for a very long period of time. And then you have that access as well. Talk to us about how this is going to work out. You know, does this become, you know, most people don't realize that the Eurofighter design was actually the British BAE systems design that everybody adopted. France was part of the program at that point, broke off to do the Rafale. How, how do you see this all working? Is it? the guys who actually put the most skin in the game up front that become the guys who end up driving the train a little bit like Eurofighter? Not, not, not at all. I mean, the, the, again, within, within the Commodore strategy where we've talked, there's a, there's a whole chapter about international partnering. And what the UK wants to do and what BA Systems wants to be able to do is be a true international partner. So we want to be able to, at the start of the program, engage with any, a number of companies, whether they are new allies or, or traditional allies, work together perhaps for your own 12-month concepting kind of studies, and then make sure that whatever it is that we're producing that comes out of those studies and that we take into service in the future is something that meets the requirements of both of the UK but also of our international partners. Clive, I want to come to you. It's pretty stunning. Uh, and I think you guys have a lot, a lot to be very, very proud of. Uh, talk to us a little bit about um, you guys have been working on this for a while uh, through a variety of different program streams and tracks. Friends of mine tell me you've been doing quite a bit of, bit of wind tunnel work as well. Um, talk to us about some of the technology streams that you're bringing together on this and the kind of jet and capability, you know, where is this aimed at the market? You know, uh, larger than an F-35? Well, talk to us about where this would fit in um, an overall strategy because UK is still acquiring F-35 aircraft. Uh, uh, Sir Stephen uh, told us, Sir Stephen Hillier, chief of the RAF, told us, hey, 138 is the number and that's what the force is building to. Uh, we're going to talk to Philip Jones, uh, first sea lord as well, and he is as eager as uh, Cass is to get those airplanes. Talk to us about you know, the kind of capability sets this is, that, that this, the Tempest would bring to the fore and what itch, market itch would it be scratching ultimately? This, this is not, we don't see this as a competitor to F-35. Um, from our National Air Force, the Royal Air Force, which you've quite rightly said, first independent air force, 
we see this more as a complementary capability into the future. So the last SDSR in this country outlined a view that Typhoon would go on until about 2040, maybe a wee bit longer. So we feel we need to understand now what sort of capabilities, what sort of technologies, what sort of systems will be required in order to take over from Typhoon in that sort of time period. Given that certainly for our own national customer and for many other customers as well, F-35 is really only entering service now. It'll have a long and very capable service life. The force mix between what we are currently viewing as the Typhoon F-35 force mix on a national perspective and the force mix between this concept, as you see behind, or what comes out of this concept work that we're doing, it may or may not look exactly like the thing you see behind you, will be effectively F-35's partner in the Royal Air Force from the 2040s onwards. So we don't see it as a competitor to F-35, it's a complementary capability in terms of the Royal Air Force and some of the other European Air Forces. We've done some market analysis around the rest of the world um, and, and clearly there are a number of, of uh, elements to that in terms of where you position yourself. Uh, the United States with its capabilities and is with its immense buying power will put itself in a position we believe which we th will slightly discriminate ourselves of. That is not to compete. We look to a future where we are continue to cooperate and collaborate with the United States in an operational sense. So therefore whatever we do needs to be complementary with what the United States is also fielding. Um, and one of the things that Cass mentioned was that historically the curve has been ever more capable aircraft are ever more expensive to the point that they become unaffordable for me to buy them in large enough numbers. I, I need numbers to fill out my force. Um, so everybody feels that cost pressure, every chief executive we've talked about, talked to here, has talked about how we manage to take costs down. From your guys' perspective, when you have a demanding customer in a nation that has global ambition, how, how, what are the major muscle movements, intellectual processes, or hard processes you're using to try to pack, for example, you know, typhoon performance in a jet that costs significantly less than a typhoon to allow Cass and his generations of his successors to buy them in far larger numbers. So you're right, so Stephen has challenged us to reduce the cost of procurement and ownership and that's a challenge we welcome. Uh, the curve in the past 30 to 40 years is only showing an upwards trend and if we continue on that curve we will hit Norm Augustine's law of one aircraft uh, for the entire military of a country. Clive, um, you, you, get, you get a bingo because that you're the first person who's invoked Augustine's law you know, on, on demand. Well done. Um, I think it's a several item, several things we want to play into this to, to, to start to back off that cost and time curve, which is absolutely critical, and, 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 and we take Sir Stephen's challenge quite rightly uh, as, as something we should do. First of all, it'll be manufacturing processes. There'll be a far, we, we see manufacturing processes being developed now and which we are beginning to bring into uh, being, some of which are here today if you wander around, which shows, we hope, a far cheaper and more efficient way of generating the manufacturing system. Secondly, I think from uh, an avionic and under the skin process of a vehicle like this, we're not starting with a clean sheet of paper. As Air Commodore Link Taylor, head of the RCO and ACOS Capdell said, we intend to spiral as well as look at new technological capabilities. Uh, that we hope will A, fully exploit those technologies we are now developing. There will be new ones and that's part of the Team Tempest remit is to look at what those new technologies might be and how we mature them and bring them into the space. How much of that can we use commercial activities in order to bring the cost down? Also the processes, how do we how do we streamline our processes, you know, 
building aeroplanes in the past has been a very bureaucratically heavy process. We've all been involved in that. Can we streamline those processes so the time scale is reduced? Time has been a big cost driver in all of these issues. If we can reduce the time scale, then by virtue of that, we will start to reduce the cost. Do we know exactly how we're going to do that today? No, we do not. And that is part of the Tempest remit to start to understand what are the big levers and drivers that allow us to reduce that cost, make these assets within a system of systems far more affordable through life, not just at the procurement end of the, of, of the, uh, of, of the telescope. That was a, a very amen uh, moment there because I think, well, but I mean, I think UK um, justifiably deserves credit for being one of the first nations to put sustainability up front in all contract discussions so that you don't end up with something that gives you the nth degree of performance but also ends up costing an enormous amount of money over time. Um, uh, there have been a number of American programs that have been optimized for maximal performance. Then at the end of the day, everybody's like, wow, I mean, but it's very expensive to maintain. Um, as you look at the radar cross, I mean, obviously it's a stealthy area aircraft, or at least you're shooting for a stealthy aircraft, and you guys have done a tremendous amount of work it, alone on your, uh, alone as BAE Systems, but also with your French partners on the unmanned aircraft uh, program, uh, where tremendous leaps have been made from a European perspective in developing state stealth capabilities. Are you guys shooting for a radar cross-section that's just sort of lower than an average aircraft and not quite an F-35, or are you trying to bat in the F-22, F-35 league and get it to that degree of, uh, of, of cross-section? You're smiling, so which one of you should I go to for this one? I'll go, I'll go for the technical one. The answer is, that's the question we are asking ourselves. Um, clearly, within the survivability equation, signature control is part of that equation. Effectiveness and efficiency and delivering the capability is dependent upon many factors. So part of the Tempest remit is to look at that operational analysis, the operational requirements and the concepts that will deliver that into the future. Looking to the future in terms of threat is difficult as we all know. That, that crystal ball in 2040 is probably a little furry and fuzzy. So we have to make some assumptions and work forward with that. Will stealth, do we at this moment in time believe stealth is a factor in the equation for the design of a next generation combat aircraft or rather perhaps more accurately signature control? Absolutely. Will it be the dominant factor? We don't know. So we're going to ask ourselves those questions, try to understand the environment, look at the operational requirements and look at concepts that meet it within the most affordable and efficient way. So is there an answer today? No, there's not an answer today, um, or we don't have an answer today. That's why we're doing this work to understand. Um, let me ask one question, and I want to get, uh, get to you, Andy, but from a payload perspective, one of the core things is, what do you ballpark want it to do, right? What's the range payload? And then the other things can flow from that roughly, right? I mean, what's your rough speed corner? That drives gas. Um, you want more munitions capability, greater range. Do you guys have any of those parameters sketched out even in rough manner so that when you put pencil to pad, you guys know how to form it out from that? Uh, I think we have, we have a view, we have a framework. Uh, whether that framework is right for tomorrow, we don't yet know. A lot of will, I think, will depend on issues like the effectors, the weapons, will they bring and confer a level of performance and functionality, which means arguably we may be able to back off the overall aircraft performance. So I think we've pitched it uh, not far off where aerodynamic performance is today, but we fully expect that through our processes of understanding the environment and the operational analysis and the concepts, that may change our mind about how we deliver that. 
I'm, I'm very aware that we are often accused of fighting yesterday's wars in terms of how we develop the next set of combat aircraft capability. We're trying not to do that. What we want to do is understand where those key discriminators are. Um, so the, I, I guess the real answer is, is we have some baseline assumptions which are probably not far off where the Typhoon capability is today in terms of aerodynamics. We would hope to improve on some of those, but other areas we may be able to back off and give ourselves more flexibility in the conceptual designs because other elements of the system will be able to deliver that capability without necessarily having to go all the way to that aerodynamic performance. But the bottom line is that's why we're doing the work to understand. Um, Andy, what's uh, next from your standpoint from a strategic perspective? You know, sort of what's next for you guys now that you sort of uh, sat there, you know, stroking the cat and having come up with, with the program? <laughs> I wanted people to have that image, you know? Please don't. No, if, it was only, if only it was that relaxed. I think the, the, key, the key elements coming up in the next couple of years, I think, are very much to engage with the international partners and, and see if we can, you know, create some kind of construct that, that has mutual benefit to all the partners and that is that's the absolutely fundamental element of, of what we're going to be trying to do as I said earlier on it it is engaging with 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 the partners at the earliest possible stages to make sure that we produce some kind of system that meets the requirements of everyone and the other part then is also sitting down sort of building on Clive's earlier answer sitting down as an, in kind of the requirements definition phase to make sure that we have an on, open and honest conversation between industry and between government and that is set out in the combat air strategy that we're going to be able to do that so that if a requirement is set that says it needs to go x miles an hour and actually industry can come back and say you know if it's x minus one miles an hour it'll be significantly cheaper do you really need it to go that speed that's the kind of open and honest discussion that we'll have and hopefully from that that will then produce that kind of affordable product that we've been talking about and uh, Clive, uh, you know, one of the parts of this is to drive it very, very quickly. Yes. Let's not take 22 years to develop the airplane. Absolutely. Um, so what kind of uh, hard gates are there to ta transfer what Andrew said, which is, hey, here's the strategic intent. You know, how, what's, what's the timetable everybody's playing against to try to deliver capability on a ramp? You know, what, what's, what's that, has, has Kaz or anybody put that stick in the mud that says, hey, here's what I went to buy? Uh, not hard mummers in that we, we are pushing and, and this is obviously a discussion between ourselves and the national governmental authorities and the MOD we want to be in the market when the market is ready for a, a vehicle for a capability like this our internal view says we believe that is probably in the late 2030s early 2040s so everything drives back from that um, so there are a number of gates which I'm probably not at liberty to discuss at the moment, but that's where we're shooting for. We do, we do not want to be 25, 30 years down the road still wondering when we're going to put a capability like this into service and out into the marketplace. And uh, Andrew, one last question, which is, has, work, has everybody decided what, what, what part BAE is bringing to the equation, what part Leonardo is bringing, or is this point at this point kind of, hey, we're all in the room together as we do this? Uh, I mean, we obviously had the broad areas where the companies are specialized in, but actually a lot of that, you know, that nailing down that kind of work share is very much dependent, again, on those international discussions that we're going to have. Because obviously it depends on which, which countries you partner with, depends on where their areas of expertise lie as well and what their requirements are going to be from any program. Andrew Kennedy, Head of Strategy for BAE Systems, Clive Morrison, uh, operational requirements, and, and a, a man who's uh, at least very technically savvy on this program. Guys, thanks very much, best of luck. We look forward to covering you over the coming years, and it's gonna be really, really great to see how much this airplane differs from the real one when it hits the ramp, because when you went back and you looked at the stuff that became Typhoon, it looked very, very different than what Typhoon looked like. Thank you. Best of luck to you guys, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you.